0: If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. If you guys are looking for a seat, yeah, there's some seats right here if you want to. It's up front, but don't even worry about it. Yeah, there you go. I'll stay back. I'll stay back here, if that makes you feel better. That's good. Um Hey, so if you don't know, we've been uh, uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. We honestly feel like the best way to understand the Bible is to go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so um, we are in what we have deemed the greatest sermon ever preached. It's preached by the guy we follow. So if you're not a Christian, we hold fast to, to Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, as our Master, and as our Teacher. And in this moment, that the, the, the text that we are reading is something that He said with His mouth and we want to follow deeply. And so what we found as we approached uh, Matthew 5 going into it is that uh, the, the essence or the the uh, Approach that we need to take to this this sermon is uh, something called the kingdom of God. We we need to have this understanding of the kingdom of God as we come to it, and here's kind of why we need to understand that. We currently live in a reality, and if you're not a Christian, this may sound bizarre. We live in a reality, an age that is not ran by the person who should be in charge. Okay, but Jesus comes on the scene and he says, "Hey, listen, I have a kingdom. It's upside down to the way that you process everything else," and he begins to lay out uh, what that looks like in his kingdom. So the last couple weeks we've talked about money. In his kingdom, we've talked about last week, judgment. And this morning, we're going to get into something really cool that I'm excited to talk about uh, in, in how we understand God and his accepting of us. And here's, uh, here's actually where I want to start as we jump into uh, to Matthew 7. Um, what we're going to go into is we're going to go into next week this really kind of big section on judgment. Okay? Okay. And, and, and I'm, it's not to scare anyone or anything like that, fear-mongering in any way. But at the core of understanding what it is, it should jar us. I would argue it's the, probably the most fearful passage in all of the Bible. And, and it's meant to do that, and I think rightfully so. And we're going to get there, but before we do, I think Jesus poetically puts this text beforehand for us to understand that that doesn't have to be our reality okay and here's what i mean so this is this is what i want to say our church redemption peoria as we continue to grow something i'm extremely excited about in seeing the growth is we are we are um Every single Sunday becoming more and more eclectic, meaning um, the diversity in which we have age, socioeconomic, all those different things is is beginning to to grow in different areas. And the reason I'm excited about that is because um, I I don't think a church of 19, 20, and 21-year-olds, all 19, 20, 21-year-olds, is a good idea as they look to the 25-year-old and go, he's the sage of the group, right? That's all bad, okay? Okay. but but what we get and what we can rely on is as you look, you can see the guys who are 65 and plus and go, they have wisdom and knowledge that I'm not even ready to hear yet, okay? But at the same time, what's really great to know about that is if you've ever walked into a church that's 65 and older, um, there's no one younger than 50 years old, and I don't mean to say this pejoratively, but honestly, it feels dead. If I was to use language, it feels lifeless. Not, I don't mean like they're just dying. I mean... It feels lifeless. And, and, and something I've, I, I mean, I'm just watching within Redemption Peoria is there's a great teeming of life, right? And at the same time, God is using those of you who are older in the room who have the gray hair, as joking as it may be, who have the gray hair that are bringing the wisdom to the table that we need, right? And, and this, is, this is beautiful because, and here's how I, it goes into the text, because when, when our stage of life is spread out as a body— we can look at the Bible and understand it through different lenses, okay? Here's what I mean. If you open your Bible to Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that God creates all of these good things. And immediately in Genesis 3, man chooses not God, and the world is broken, now, what God does from there is he gives us these, these very tangible, and I would say anthropomorphic language, these very um, man-using language for us to understand that relationship and how it is now broken. The relationship between us and God, God continues. to so, so one of the things he uses is the relationship between a husband and a wife. right? So if you're 18 and you're not married, you're reading certain sections on, on how God is using a husband and a wife. You guys can come in. Don't be shy. I'll put you on blaster seats right up here. Don't even worry about it. Okay? there you go. Now you have to come in, right? Um, Yeah, there you go. There's seats right here. Don't even worry about it. They they wouldn't mind if you sit in front of them. Um, So here's, I was just explaining husbands and wives. So this works out for you guys. Okay. Um, No, maybe not. Um, Here, here's, here's what I would say. Okay. So, so if you read Ezekiel 16 or you read the book of Hosea, God is trying to communicate his relationship with mankind like this. I am a faithful husband and you're my wife, but, but this wife continues to rebel, continues to run. We see this in Ezekiel 16, the entire book of Hosea. We even see this language of the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. So he's using that, right? And so now we can look and we can see, oh, this is great. He also uses language of, of like a new man and an old man. We, we are Before we are under Adam, and now we are under Jesus. If you, you grew up in church long enough, you've probably heard like courtroom language. Right Language of, we stand before God, who is a judge. We are found guilty, but because of Jesus, we are forgiven of those things, and and so on and so forth. Well, one of the greatest examples that I think the Bible gives us, and I think very beautifully, and it's most often used in Scripture, is the image of a father and a child. It's the image of God being our father, and we as his children. And I think the eclectic nature of our, our church in this moment, for me to be the teaching pastor affords us, and I think this is what ultimately, I'll defend it in a second with the text, to read the text through that lens, meaning... So I get the opportunity as someone who's 32 years old and has been a father for now nine years almost. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. Uh, well, not well, eight, they're about to be nine, seven, and four. Um, and as they're they're in that age, and we're a ado- you know we have this new baby. I have the opportunity to present from my unique vantage point what it means to be a father. And this text is going to portray that in such a way that maybe you who are 19 and don't have a child, you you don't fully understand the tension. And I want to help you understand through that lens. Now, maybe some of you, man, you're great grandparents and you can look back. I want to remind you of some of what that looks like. Okay. And, and you can see this if you're just newly married. Um, the reason this is important for us to understand is if you're just newly married, you know, automatically you can see there've been moments where you're talking to your spouse and you're sitting there going, man, like this is like totally how God treats me. Nothing more has rocked my faith, not even marriage itself outside of the relationship with my kids. Meaning, there have been moments where I'm talking to my kids, and I'm going, am I talking to me right now? Like, I need you to be patient, buddy. And I'm like, you, okay. um, I need you to trust me, buddy. I, you're, you're talking, okay, okay. Right? There's moments where I'm sitting there going, God is using me to talk to me. I mean, my kids, they don't even need to be in the room. I can just talk to myself right now. This is for me, okay? Okay. And, and, and I think because of that, we get to, to really get at what Jesus is going to lay out in front of us, and I think very beautifully. So we're going to go at these four verses, and I want to use that platform for us to understand this text really well. So I'm going to melee you with story after story and how I can process this. And if you're a parent, you understand. If you're a great-grandparent, you really can understand the frustrating part of what it is to be a parent and how you are destroying our kids' faith by spoiling them the way that you are. Um, and, and if you're not... And if you're not, you're not, then you can hopefully use the experience that I am living in currently to see that, okay? So here's where I want to start. As we're going to open up into verse 7, um, what I want you to know, one thing about um, as a father, one thing I absolutely love is when my kids ask me for something, okay? When they request me for something. And, and as a matter of fact, it, it hurts my heart um, sometimes when they come to me and they start with the sentence, Dad, I know you're going to say no, but, right? That, I hate that. I hate, and I, I hate it so much that I almost, like, respond in all the wrong ways. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to say no, then don't ask me. And I shut the door behind me, right? Like, not the way to respond. Um, but but I, I want them to know that they can come to me. And I don't want to constantly be, like, this push-down, I-say-no negative guy. I want them to know that they can come to me and request things of me. And, and, and this is ultimately, I think, what Jesus is getting at with our relationship with our Father. Hear here what he says in verse 7. It says this, ask... And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives; and the one who seeks, finds; and so the one who knocks, it will be open. I want you to look at those three words: ask, seek, and knock. Okay. And what we don't see in English that we can add from the original language, if I want you to put the word "continue" to before each of those words. Literally in the uh, uh, original language, what Jesus is saying is: continue to ask, continue to seek. Continue to knock. It's an ongoing. This is just seek one time and be done. No, continue to do this. So when we read it, we can read it. Continue to ask, and it will be given to you. Continue to seek, and you will find. Continue to knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who continues to ask, uh, will receive. Everyone who continues to seek will find. And everyone who continues to knock, the door will be open. The first thing that's put in front of us that I think very beautifully that we probably would recognize if you are as a parent, we're looking at that text going, "No, that's not true," right? Because I'm looking going there's moments where they keep continue to ask. I'm like, stop asking me the question, okay? Right, and I know it's so funny, but I've been the guy, we will be there when we are there. You don't have to keep asking me. In that tone, I need Jesus, okay? Now, as a parent, we know that, but this is what's crazy. Jesus is using that paradigm as, as parents, that we know this. As a father, I know this. And he is laying out the craziest promise of all time. And here's how he, he gives us. There's a parallel passage to what we just read in the, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Let me read it to you because he gives a story. He gives a story of how we can understand ultimately what this text is getting at. Listen to what it says in verse 5, Luke 11. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give you anything because he, uh, because he is his friend. Yet because of his impute, impudence or shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will, so on and so forth. So, so the, the craziest promise, I would argue, laid out in this moment is that the creator of the universe, the guy who owns everything who has all expanding love, who knows and has all knowledge, tells you to bug him. He goes, no, 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 hear me. Continue to come at me, even shamelessly. Even if he's like, that word shameless, persistent. In his story that Jesus just gave out, hey, friend's coming into town. You go to your, na- your neighbor, knocks on the door and goes, hey, can I borrow some sugar? No, man, it's late. They'll be fine until morning. You, even if you don't like the guy, just to get him to go away We'll go, fine, take the sugar, leave me alone. And God's going, (laughs) even when God, I don't know how to express this. There's moments where he's like, I don't really like you, just stop asking me, right? It's crazy to even think that through that lens that he is saying, just bug me, bug me, bug me. So here is Eve. She's three years old. She's in the bath, right? And I'm sitting on the couch, you know, you know, daddy, daddy. Daddy, okay, God is going, sitting on the couch going, that's my daughter, that's my daughter. I'm sitting on the couch, Eve, stop saying my name. You understand the difference? God is literally going, bug me, bug me, ask, continue to seek, which we are forced immediately, if this is true, as we read this not just to read this from our perspective of what we're to do, we're to do the asking, we're to do the seeking, we're to do the knocking, but the promise that's built on the back end of that. He'll be there. Which we, for some of us, those of you who grew up in church, have to force your paradigm to begin to switch around, to understand that God is not saying, hey, I have all these parameters that are uh, against between you and I. You need to work through them to get to me. That's not at all how he is thinking. He is saying, come on, come on. A guy named Josh Butler wrote a book, um, uh, probably about a year ago. It's called *The Pursuing God*, and I think it's a helpful book. Um, And this is what he says in, and I think I think this is even getting at some of the text: Um, "Is God lost? Many of us feel that way. It is if God has gone missing and out in the universe somewhere, and we must pick up the hunt, following any trail of breadcrumbs He may have left to go out and find Him. We speak of searching for God, exploring spirituality, and finding faith. But what if we have it backward?" What if God is the one pursuing us? What if our job is not to go out and find God, but simply stop running and hiding? Not to earn God's love, but to receive it. Not to turn on the light, but to step out of the shadows. Jesus reveals a God on the prowl, pursuing us, hunting us down. uh, uh, Yeah, hunting down his world for reconciliation. And the question we're left with is not whether we've pursued hard enough. Do you hear that? It's not whether we've pursued hard enough. Search long enough, or jumped high enough, the question is, do we want to be found? I think what verse 7 and 8 is be putting in front of us is not so much from our paradigm what we're to do, but God's response in that. So I'm able to work out my schedule um, that two or three days a week, I'll, I'm able to start at 5.30 or 6, so I can be home around 2 or 3. And the boys get out of school at 4, so Candice goes and picks them up. And I have Eve, right? And so we do something called Ninja coteroy. Okay? And what it is, is I set up my phone and I re- record, uh, Eve and I, we've set, we put ourselves in ninja masks and we go, oh, hello boys. Okay? And we do this whole ninja thing. right? Um, and we take one of their items, like Corbin's skateboard or, or Titus's Legos, and we go, oh, you come find these uh, items. right? Um, and so here we are, we're doing this whole thing, we record it and I set it up on a stool. Um, and, and so when the boys walk in, they, they play this video and they have to, somewhere in the house, find us. Okay, And I don't mess around with like, crappy hiding spots, like Eve and I are like, cutting mattresses open and stuffing ourselves in them. Okay. <laughs> so, so we break really high, right? So immediately the hunt is on and they're coming to look for us. But here's what's crazy. Um, after they can't find us for a while, not just because it's deathly hot holding a three-year-old somewhere that I want to be found, but ultimately I'm so excited to be found by them. So eventually we can wrestle or I can see them light up and we can all like, you know, whatever that eventually as time goes on, I go, "Coban! Titus. Right oh man, I'm trying to get them to find me. I want them to find me. Now I'm hiding in that way. Yes, it's true, but I want to be found. And I think what this passage is putting in front of us, not just the fact that we are to continue to ask, that is true. Continue to seek, that is true. Continue to knock, that is true. But more appropriately, there is ultimately a God who is responding desperately to those cries. And if we can understand that, that changes the way that we view this God. Now, um, it's hard for some of you who, who would not consider yourself a Christian to begin to even understand this. But those of you who are a Christian, I, I would argue for the most part, I'm not saying this is every time, but for the most part, you, your stories would, would begin with God. Meaning, you weren't just walking down the street and said, you know what, I think I'm going to try Jesus. No, either heartache came, or frustration came, or something came within you. You have no idea what it was, and you go, what's going on? There's something happening with me. And this is the first inclination of God going, seek me. Seek me. I'm here. Knock on the door. I'm here. Now, um, the next part of our text, verses 9, 10, and 11, what I want to say about this is, it's not that I just want to... um, provide for my kids or want them to ask, but I want to give them good things, okay? And, and that, that, is, um, that is a unique uh, uh, thing to understand. Let's read the text, and I'll explain it a little more. This is what he says um, in verse 9. And which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask him? The, the, the thing that we ha- we're going to have to do immediately, you guys, is ask this big question or at least the, the wrestle that you have in asking this question of going, Well, I feel like I've sought after God. I've knocked on the door. I've continued to pursue him. Why has he not responded? And and let's just state some obvious things, right? And this may be obvious, um, but I want to explain it just emotionally in the same way we understand it cognitively. Meaning, you know God is not going to give you everything you ask for. You also know that's a bad idea. I mean, just use simple logic here. If God was to give you everything you ask for, if you asked to be God, you could be God. Now, that's a huge Uh, like right that's a huge i'm using um completely like outside peripheral things but even look like as you bring in that logic a little more like if you're super frustrated in a moment and you want someone dead god can you kill them of course in that moment like god's not just going to do whatever you ask so there is something that we have to understand in this text and the thing is ultimately that 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 word good that god is going to give us good things so when we read this just look at the the back half of this Verse 11, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So what I, I want you to understand is, um, what you know cognitively, allow me to let you in as a parent to understand emotionally. This is what I mean. I, as a parent, only want to give my kids good things. I only want to give them good things. If I can have them eat broccoli every meal, if I, like, I want to give them good things. But there's a tension that I live in as a parent that I also want to see him smile. So there's moments where I look and I go, it's ultimately good for you to have ice cream right now because if you never got ice cream, there there would not be a joy that you experience. But there's also times where I go, but you don't eat ice cream after every meal. So there's a tension that I live in emotionally that I have to go, I want my kids to like me. But the hard thing about parenting, man, is... I'm not called to be a short-term buddy. I'm called to be a long-term friend. And so here I am to look at this and go, I want them when they're 30 years old to look back and go, thank you. And so that's tough because in the moments of raising kids, it's not easy. Now, here's where this, all this turns on its head. There's moments where what they deem as good is not what I deem as good. So, so cognitively, you know this. God has not answered some of your prayers. Here we go. Let's get real churchy the way that you would like, right? Why has he not given this to me? Why did he allow this to happen? And you have all of these questions. Now, you know that God has all the answers, but uh, emotionally process it with me as a parent for a second. There's moments where Eve, at three years old, wants to go to the, uh, one of her friends' house who lives five houses down, five houses. She goes, hey, can I walk over to Brendan and Riley's house? No, no, you can't. You're three, okay? Now, she can't understand why I will not let her little body go through the door, close it behind her. She's gone. Go walk down the driveway and walk five houses down on her own. Why would I not allow her to do that? Well, the reality is, Eve, this place, the world we live in is completely evil. I'm never letting you leave, okay? So, 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 so I, have, I have a view, a place of understanding that she doesn't understand. And that means there are moments where she's going to be frustrated. And I understand that cognitively. Now hear me as a parent. It doesn't make it any easier though, because I want them to be happy. I do, but I have been called to give good things and I would not be a good parent if I let them do those things. So the question we have to ask with this text is, what if your kid asks for a snake? I don't mean like actually a snake. I mean, if they do, that sucks for you, but I'm saying if, if they ask for the, the, the figurative snake that Jesus is, is talking about, saying that your, your child asks for a good thing, I'll give them a good thing. Your child asks for a good thing, you'll give them a good thing. But what if your child asks for a bad thing? Now here's where we can understand and why the perspective that I'm trying to um, put in front of you as a parent is really helpful in understanding our relationship with God. Because now in this moment when my son or daughter asks for a bad thing, I only want to give them good things. I am not going to give them the thing they ask for. And that's not easy. That's not easy. But I have a knowledge they don't have. I have a love for them they don't have for themselves. Now, if that's true for me, listen to the text. Listen to the text. If you then, who are evil, now I want you to, it's not just sitting here saying like you're all evil. He's trying to paint this picture of this paradigm that that God's holiness, his love, his knowledge is so much bigger than mine at 32 years old raising kids that it's considered evil. That's how far the spectrum is. That's how deep and wide and how different it is. So if I'm processing stuff on this platform, then here, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask you? So cognitively you understand this, but emotionally step into the relational analogy Jesus is putting in front of you. He is saying, you know, as a parent, you cannot give kids everything they want. But if you continue to give them things that they're good for, they'll create a palette for it. You're teaching them. You know that. Now imagine the limited understanding that you have, how I have perfect understanding. I have perfect knowledge. I have perfect love. How much more am I doing with you? Now this is, can I just say, beautiful. This is beautiful. Because some of you right now are sitting there going, God, why are you allowing this depression to continue to be in my life? Why are you allowing anxiety? Why did you allow that death? Why did you allow that job loss? And the frustration continues to build. And it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And you know what's hard about that is? Um sometimes we process God through the lens of um, the results that we see and not the results that he ultimately knows to be true. So when you lost that job, you were super frustrated and angry at God, week one, week two, month one, month two. But then six months later, you got this job that paid twice as much, so awesome, and you sit there and go to God and go, Oh, God, thank you so much. I, I can't, you were doing things I couldn't believe. You are so awesome about this, right? Because you see the end. You know you got out of that crappy job because God had this really awesome plan for you. But what happens when you can't see the results? What if you're the guys from the back end of Hebrews 11? The dudes who are sawn into two, burned alive, beheaded, lynched, stoned to death. The, wasn't, the world wasn't even worthy for them. What if you're those guys? They never, and I quote, never received the promise. What if you're John the Baptist? Your whole life was born to prepare the way of the Messiah, and you are beheaded by some heathen dance. What if you're that? See, see, for us to step back for a moment and go, God, no matter what comes, what happens, I can understand. You have given me this example as a parent, as a father to a son, a parent to a child, whatever it is that I can understand. There are certain things that I'm doing that my kids don't understand. I can see that. In you, And that means I've got to trust. But what's great about this is if we're not to get lost in the arguments of how could an all-powerful God allow evil, let's just sit in the analogy and know this from this text. God wants to give you good things. He wants to give you good things. And the biblical premise for good is not relative. He has really good things for you. Good things. You may not think they're good sometimes, but they're good he cares. He loves. He cares, and he loves to the nth degree. And this is what I would say to this. Um, I want to read something uh, to you guys um, from Romans chapter 5. And the reason I want to read it uh, to you guys is because um, I don't think any of this passage is true, or we would be remiss not to understand this passage if we didn't see it through the lens of eternity as well. So there are some of you who um, are coming to the table and uh, not understanding that if you would Seek after God, you would continue to go after him, you would ask and you would knock. He has come in such a way, hear me, this is the last parent example I can give you. He has come in such a way that we are to view the crucifixion of, of of Christ not through just the lens of Jesus. But hear me when I say this: I as a father will give my life ten out of ten times before I had my son killed. A billion out of a billion times. There would not be one time where if someone came in and said, Hey, I'm gonna kill you or your son that's easy. That's easy. So for a moment, I need you to process in God's eternal plan. He loves you so much that he is willing not just to give himself, but to give his child. Do you hear that? Do you understand the extents of that love? He's looking at you and I And check this out, the passage in Romans we're about to read shows us that he's not just giving his will to us because we're awesome. Well, I'm going to give it to this group of people. No, 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 we're called enemies, people who are against God, he gives. Now now check this out, I, I like you guys, but there's no one in this room I'm giving my children for. No one, no one. The reality is, even if you're on my best side, my best friends, the truth is, I'm not giving my kids up for them. And yet, listen to Romans 5. Verses six through 11. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we, are also, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So in this moment, God does not just go, yeah, I want to give this for, for them. No, for enemies. For someone, now I need you to understand, like earthly mindset. Think of someone you, like, whether it's ISIS or whoever it is, I don't know, care who you need to think of, for them. That's what God does. The extent of that is amazing. And unfortunately, there's two types of people in this room who can't quite see past that. There's those of you who come in the room who do not know Jesus, and yet you are frustrated over and over with the fact that you feel like you're pursuing, or you feel like he's not there. And all I can tell you is scripture says otherwise. He has put in front of you that the door will be opened. And then there's some of you who continue to rely on, once now the door has been opened, your own status. You, you've stopped seeking. You've stopped knocking. And this is yet what we are called continually to go after him. And so to finish, I want to finish with a man, Spurge. This is what he says. Um, he took um, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, and instead of preaching a sermon, he came on a Sunday, and he just says, I have 34 points for you. And he just laid out 34 points. I didn't do that, but this is point seven of his 34 points. You think the door is closed because you feel it ought to be so. You feel that if God dealt with you as you would deal with your fellow men, he would be so offended with you as to shut the door of his favor once and for all. You remember how guilty you have been, how often you have refused the divine call, and how you have gone on from evil to evil, and therefore you fear that the master of the house has already risen up and shut the door. You fear less like the stubborn ones in Noah's day, you will find the door of the ark closed and yourself shut out to perish in the general destruction. Sin lies at the door and blocks it. Your desponding feelings fasten up the gate of grace in your judgment, yet... It is not so. The gate is not barred and bolted as you, think it, as you think it to be. Its hinges are not rusted. No bolts secure it. The Lord is glad to open the door to every knocking soul. This is the God we serve. This is the Father we have. He is in a desperate pursuit of us and we are to continue to come, continue to step out of the darkness, continue to to remove the sin that so easily entangles us and be received by the God that has promised us that if we seek after him, we will find him. If we knock, that door will be opened. May that be true of us, whether we're Christian or not in this room. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's really where we want to start. We want to respond with insane amounts of gratitude. We understand that um, our very limited understanding of who you are and the way that you work paralyzes our interactions with you. There are moments where we're frustrated and want to shake our fists to the sky because we don't understand what you're doing. And yet, at the same time, like hypocrites, we treat our children with frustration that they're doing the same thing. May we... Understand to the nth capacity, there are moments where you will not let us go five doors down. There are moments where you will not let us have that ice cream. There are moments where you not let us watch too much television. There are moments after moments after moments where you will do what is good for us, even though we don't even want it. Thank you for that. We're reminded of Acts 17, 26 through 28, that through one man, you made all the nations of the world with their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that we would seek after you and find you. God, we've been put on this earth right now where we live, when we live, for the purposes of finding you, for the purposes of seeking after, groping in the dark, looking for you, trying to find who you are, trying to understand your name, trying to understand your purposes. May that be true. May we live in that constant place of faith. You're a good, good dad. Man, you're a good dad. Thank you so much for that. We love you. We really hold fast to you. We need you a ton. By your grace, may we not let go. In Jesus' name, amen.